0: I mentioned to you earlier that the sum total of today's message is that we want to grow more like Jesus. It's, it's He who we want to emulate. You know, a lot of people have heroes. You might have heroes. You might have had a hero when you were a kid. Somebody you wanted to be just like. It's wonderful when kids want to be like their parents. I don't know. I think that's kind of rare these days. But to be like somebody. And the Scripture admonishes us. And encourages us that the person we should be like is Jesus and I want to give you the reasons for loving Jesus in that way and honoring him by wanting to emulate him and just what is there to emulate about Jesus anyhow share those things with you this morning so again the sermons title is more like him and I believe in my heart of hearts that if you're a believer out there this morning you want to be more like Jesus so I want to begin with this you may not know about the Steinway piano And it's been the instrument of choice for many of the world's great keyboard masters, and it's been that for good reasons. It is a skillfully crafted instrument that produces amazing sound. How many of you have ever heard a Steinway grand piano played? They are amazing. You're looking up one up there. Steinway pianos are built today the same way they were built 140 years ago when Henry Steinway, who's seated at that Steinway there in the picture, started his business. Here are some steps in the process you might not know. It takes over 200 craftsmen and 12,000 parts to manufacture a Steinway grand piano. The most crucial is the rim bending process where 18 layers of maple are bent around an iron press to create the shape of the grand Steinway piano. You can see that shape there. Five coats of lacquer are applied and hand rubbed to give the piano its outer glow. The instrument then goes to the pounder room where each key is tested 10,000 times to ensure quality and durability. Pretty amazing, but that's why that cost so much too. As deliberate and painstaking as the process of making a Steinway piano is, nothing compares to the elaborate human creation, God's handcraftsmanship of us took place. Nothing compares to what God did when he made you by hand, when he made each and every one of us. The Bible says that on the sixth day of creation, Genesis 2:7, and the Lord formed man. And that word means to mold, to squeeze into shape as a potter does. You remember that the Lord spoke and everything else came into being. But when it came to humanity, God knelt down and from the elements of the earth began to create you and me and blew into the breath of that, that entity, that person, life. By forming and shaping and pouring breath into the lungs, God created a living person. And you should remember that God is in the details. And as you explore those details, you would stand in awe of the creator. I mean, if you look at yourself in the morning, I hope you can do that. But if you look at yourself in the morning, are you a little bit amazed when you realize that the reason that you can even look at yourself in the morning is these eyes? And do you realize as Darwin went about trying to create his theory of evolution, the thing that continually eluded him was he couldn't understand how the eyes could have evolved. Very simple answer, they didn't. This was a creation of Almighty God, the one who made you and the one who made me. If you follow these uh, familiar verses and you will be reminded how great is our God. The verses that I'm referring to, you probably know. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, and here's what they read. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. The ancient Hebrews regarded the reins, you see in that verse, as the seat of sensation and feelings, as well as that of desire and longing but the hebrew word literally signifies the kidneys but it is poetically used of the inner person generally speaking god knows and has power over your inner personality your innermost thoughts god knows every secret you may possess you can't keep a secret from god god knows you and god knows you best and the ironic thing is The fact that God knows you so well, isn't it kind of amazing that He loves you the most? Don't you find that wonderful? You know yourself and you know you're not perfect. You know yourself and you know that you've never achieved that place where you could look God in the eye and say, I'm innocent. We've all come to that place in life when we realize that we've got a long way to go. And God says, don't worry about that. You just keep on keeping on. I'm not gonna let you go. You don't have to get discouraged when you think you haven't made it because you're not going to make it until you get home to me in heaven. Then you will be perfected. But right here and right now, you've got to work. You've got to study the Bible. You've got to have a prayer life. You've got to work on having mercy and grace for the people around you. And we'll see some of the things that God would expect of us through Christ. The verse go on goes on to say that, Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. As used here, the Hebrew word to cover means to weave, to knit together. It means that in the womb, God had put our parts together as one weaves cloth or as one makes a basket. Can you imagine that? It's God who is putting all of the pieces together to make you who you are. And he knows who you are. And the Bible says not only does he know who you are, but in your womb, he knows your name. Your parents may not have figured it out yet, but God already knows. He knows your gender, He knows your name, and He knows the direction your life is going to take. And He loves you. The wonderfulness of the human body is so great that even the casual student of anatomy must say to God, marvelous are your works. I don't think an honest seeker of science, especially in anatomy and biology, can look at the chromosomes and look at the DNA and say this is all just an accident. Or look at the way in which your muscular structure is laid into your body or understand that there's no such thing as a simple cell, but every cell is extremely complicated. And inside each and every cell, something Darwin could never see and something we couldn't see until just a few decades ago is that there is no such thing as a simple cell. Every cell contains within it micro-machines, things floating around inside that cell to keep the cell healthy, to heal the cell, to feed the cell, So many things going on, we never could imagine because we never could see it. Well, we took all of that and said, by faith, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth and that he he made man in his image. And part of that image is something so complex and so amazing that the more you look into the details where God is, the more you look into the micro, you see God. The more you look at the macro, you see God. If you look up in the heavens, you'll see him and his handiwork because that's not just stuff splattered up a canvas of black. It all has, it's all there by intelligence. And if you look at the micro, you look into the microscope and see that tiny cell and see how intricate it is, you must stand back and you say, this is not an accident. This is purposeful. This is, am- this is amazing. This is too wondrous for words. I'm too, My mind just can't get around it all. I'm going to believe in faith that God created all of this. loves me and sent his son to die for me and wants me to live in peace with him. If you look at the body, you, you'll see that it's amazing the things that it consists of. The body consists of various chemicals, iron, sugar, salt, carbon, iodine, phosphorus, lime, calcium, and others, worth something less than two bucks. So don't put your two bucks in. The body has 600 bones, 600 muscles, 970 miles of blood vessels, 400 taste buds on the tongue, 1,000 hairs in the ears to tune into all sounds, 600 million air cells to the lungs that inhale 2,400 gallons daily. How could these things be? I were first called Christians in Antioch. They were literally labeled the Christ ones. They were also called those who are like Christ. Now, today we use the word Christian, but let me live up to that advertisement that we are the Christ ones, that we are the ones who are like Christ. What is there about you? What is there about me? What is there about others that would make us point and say, this person is like Christ? Now, pause and think of yourself for a moment. Do you feel that you're living in such a way that you are living as if you were Christ? Living like Christ? Modeling the attributes of Christ, the qualities of Christ? We need to think about this. Paul gives us insight into how to be more like him. He writes the key is found in two phrases, putting off and putting on. Two phrases, putting off and putting on. Colossians 3, you may feel that you're a nobody here in life, but in God's eyes, you are somebody. I mean, he didn't die for a nobody. He died for a somebody. He died for you. The world might not think much of you. The people in your, in your world may not think of much of you, but God thinks an awful lot of you. And Jesus thinks so much of you that he died for you. The treasures are to be found in the Bible and living out truths, promises, and warnings. Paul gives seven things to put off. Life and nine things to put on. Let's turn in our Bible Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. Let me share these words with you up here on PowerPoint. Colossians chapter. What are we putting off and what are we putting on? But now also put on the put off all these things: anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth, lie not to one another. You have put on now a new renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. He's not looking at the labels, He's looking at the person, and He's not the exterior. The Bible says that people look on your exterior and they judge you. person is. For the real you, the real you is not out here. The real you is behind your eyes. You're looking, the real you is looking out. You. Verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity is love in action. So let me share the negatives. Some people just love to dwell in the land of the negative. Some people just wake up in the morning and just think a bunch of negative thoughts, look themselves in the mirror and see a frowning face. So some of the things that he tells us to, to get rid of because they're harmful to you, some of these things become a trap. Some of these things And so here's what he says. He wants you to take off these harmful things and he wants you to put some positive things on. What's negative? Number one, anger. You know, if, if anger is left inside of you, if you continue to nurture your anger, you know what it turns into? It turns into bitterness. And you know what that bitterness becomes? The bitterness becomes a prison. Something not so easy to get out of anymore. When you're bitter, the Bible says it's like a root. It takes hold and it doesn't let you go. You want to live like that? And P.S., while you're living in that prison, the people you're with and bitter about, they're living scot-free. They're having a wonderful old time. They ain't thinking about you. In fact, if they heard that you were so unhappy because you were so bitter, they may rejoice. Secondly, wrath, strong anger that leads to vengeance. It'll paralyze you. This kind of anger, this kind of of wrath makes you sick. There are people who, because they're so angry and so upset, and their face wears it, and their life wears it, and their insides wear it. They have ulcers. They have high blood pressure. So many other things going against them. Do you want those things going against you? You want to be freed from those things. Bible says, put it off. What does that mean? When he tells us to put it off, he's telling us, you've got something you can do about this. You're not, you're not a prisoner. This is stuff that you may have built and put yourself into, but you can get yourself out of with my help. With God's help, you can free yourself from this stuff. Third, malice, which is the desire to cause pain to harm someone else. Imagine that. Imagine that anger and bitterness and wrath can get to be so bad that you want to do something about it and you want to hurt somebody. And we see enough of this stuff going on and the news in front of our face every single day. People don't just get there overnight. This is stuff that builds up inside of people to the point where they feel absolutely like there's no way out. And when people feel trapped, you have no idea what they're going to do next. And we see what they do next. Fifth, uh, fourth, the thing that we could put off is blasphemy, and that's showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. And when people use Jesus' name in vain, I find that to be blasphemous. And when people mock the things of the Bible, that's blasphemous. When people mock the Holy Spirit, that's blasphemous. When they, when they, when they mock what you are doing here today, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And they laugh at it, and they condemn it, and they call you all kinds of names. I mean, we've got a terrible list of names that accompany us in the world. They just think that we're dumb, we're ignorant. Ignorant means things you don't know. I think we know a lot more things than they know by virtue of the fact that we believe this book. And this book's got all the mysteries of the world, all of the mysteries of life, all the hidden secrets. We know where we came from. We know where we're going. And we know everything in between. We know the true nature of man and ourselves. Nobody's fooling us, at least they shouldn't. If you know your Bible, you shouldn't be fooled by what's going on in the world today. Fifth, foul language. How many of you have ever turned on a movie? (laughs) Maybe I should put it the other way. How many of you have ever turned on a movie and not foul any foul language? Maybe that's the better way to understand it. I mean, they're filled with foul language. Why? It's you. you got to be. You got to have very little depth in your life if all you can revert to is certain words that are just ugly. Get away from it. It says sixth lying and gossip. The most common sort of lie is the one we tell ourselves. Lying to ourselves. Lying to ourselves. If we lie to ourselves, we're going to lie to everybody. You know, there was a saying, the person who who cheats on their taxes, believes everybody cheats on their taxes. Not everybody lies. Number seven, it says, put off the old man, and that's the you you used to be. In other words, you can graduate from the you you are now. You can do stuff about this. You're not a victim of the old you. Paul encourages us to put on the new man. Now we're talking about putting things on. Putting on the new man, a person marked by godly qualities. And those godly qualities consist of mercy. In other words, you're not giving people what they deserve. In your, in your love for people, you're giving them the best. And The Bible says that if your enemy, that you shouldn't be hating your enemy. You should be loving your enemy. You should be doing just the opposite of what the world expects you to do. See, when you're in the image of God, you're doing just the opposite of what people expect. And as Christians, we are counterculture. We should be doing exactly the opposite that the world does, exactly the opposite of how they operate, exactly opposite of how they react to situations in their life. Push back. Don't just stand there. The best thing you can do is pray. You have the strongest weapon that anybody could possibly imagine When when the believers when the when believers get on their knees and pray, the devil trembles. You believe that? I know it to be true. Mercy. Doing things that people don't deserve. Kindness. Are we marked by kindness? Are we kind let's say are you are we kind to the people outside of the box? Outside of here, are we kind to one another? You know, this is the place where we have the best chance of succeeding in some of these qualities, because to a certain degree, we have a mask on. To a certain degree, you know, we're doing what people expect us to do here inside the box. But can we really be kind to the people inside and people outside? Check your kindness meter, would you? Kindness, humility, Patience. You know, people want everything so fast today. I mean, you go to McDonald's, if you wait 13 seconds more, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be big trouble. Endurance. Hang on. Don't quit. I told you in my prayer. We've been praying for a young man who needed a kidney. We've been praying over two years for that young man. And just three days ago, I think it was, that he got his new kidney, and he's doing great. Pray without what? Ceasing. Ceasing. Forgiveness. Ease, an easy word that rolls right off the tongue down. forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Wonderful thing to say, but can we practice it? And divine love. That's different than what the world expects. Divine love possesses all these things and puts them all into action. Love called charity in 1 Corinthians 13. Charity just means putting love into action. That's what it means. When you do these things, when you have mercy to people, don't give them what they deserve in, in response. When you're kind to the people around you and people notice it. When you're humble, it's not all about you. When you're patient with people, because it's very easy to, it's, it's very easy to lose your patience with people. When we endure in our prayer and in our relationship, when we forgive and we exert divine love, we are showing people that we are like Christ. And that's who we want to be like. And that is a goal. God would never give you a goal that you couldn't attain. He's not asking you to do something which is impossible. Why would he do that? He's not here to frustrate you. He's here to hold out a life that is filled with qualities that make you more like Jesus. And the Bible says that when Jesus is lifted up, he draws people to himself. I mean, the best way for our church to attract people here is just to love them in, love them in. And I think it's fair to say that people do feel that when they come here. These attributes can shine from us and touch the lives of others in a meaningful way. They are the treasures we have to share with others. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 7 that believers carry the treasure of the gospel inside these perishable containers known as our body. If either a chink in the armor, so to speak, is that we have all these truths and we know all this stuff, but it's inside a body which fights against it. It's so hard for us to be like Jesus because our body fights against us. The Bible says that there's a war between our flesh and our spirit. Closing thought. One of the world's largest diamonds is 108.3 carats. It's one of the most famous. It was presented to Queen Victoria in 1850. It's displayed against a simple black cloth inside a bulletproof case in the Tower of London. And the black background brings out, by contrast, the diamond's dazzling glory. Likewise, God has entrusted his most prized treasure to us. And does our life shine in such a way with the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ? It's a treasure. The gospel is a treasure that that you can share with others. How many of you want to be more like Christ in your life? Show me your hands. Put your hand down a minute. Now, would you turn to the person next to you and say, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Christ. I'm I'm laying my marker down. I want to be more like Christ. And when you uttered those words, you laid your marker down, and it's something that's attainable to you you can be more like Christ this morning. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to go to your word and study it, meditate upon it, and learn from it. And I pray, Lord, that folks' heart might be lifted up today and encouraged to be more like you because people are desperate in this world today. And we see that desperate people do desperate things, but there's something we've got to offer that can wash away all that desperation that can turn the negatives into positives, that can take take the loneliness and turn it into a a loving relationship. And we pray this morning, Father, for each and every one of us here that we would leave this place with our hearts determined to, to let others see Christ in us by us being more like him in the way in which we treat the people who are in our life. So I pray a blessing on everyone here this morning. And I pray that we might all attain slowly, incrementally, day by day, the likeness of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray.